everybody, welcome to another episode of Classes of Mail. My name is Alan Gigax, and today we're going to talk about M documents. These are the memorandums of understanding between the U.S. Postal Service and the NALC that cover controversial topics. They memorialize um, grievance settlements, things like that. And these are citable for union stewards who are filing grievances. And they're informative to carriers who just want to know more about the job, which I assume that is a lot of my listeners. Otherwise, why would you be here? Before we get into it, I have a little story to tell. So I have been reading the contract, as you know, and trying to get more informed. I've recently become an alternate union steward, and so now I'm like trying to enforce the contract. And so the more I learn about the contract, the more I see things that management isn't doing. And I have this personality trait where I am a rules guy. I'm a rules follower. I'm interested in the rules. And whoop, And I want to make sure that things are done correctly. So, I've also read our local memorandum of understanding, which is like the tiny local version of the contract. that just covers issues of local importance, like how you're going to bid on vacations. And it covers uh, whether your days off are going to be fixed or they're going to rotate, things like that. One of these days uh, in the near future, I will have an episode on the local memorandum and I'll read my own. But for now, suffice it to say that I was looking through it and there were some things of interest in there. There was a parking uh, agreement that affected uh, an issue that we're having at my station. So it was nice to be able to cite that. And I also saw that we are supposed to have at the local level, these local labor management meetings where we meet every month. And the minutes of the meeting are to be recorded. And then after the meeting, within 10 days, those minutes are supposed to be posted at every station in the Las Vegas area. And I have been to union meetings before where I've seen some of these minutes. And they're really good stuff. Because the whole idea here is that the labor, you know, the union and management, like the local postmaster, are going to get together. We're going to ask the postmaster the tough questions and get them on record about, hey, how are we supposed to handle this situation? You know, an example might be, let's imagine that you're going to go over your estimated time on the 3996. So you inform management, hey, I'm going to need an extra 30 minutes. What do you want me to do? And then management doesn't get back with you. Maybe you're going to go into overtime and you didn't think you were going to in the first place. Either way, you're going to go over, so you tell management, and then they don't respond. What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to keep delivering all the mail, or are you supposed to come back to the station and bring back the undelivered mail and keep to your original time? Well, these are the kind of questions that can be resolved in these labor management meetings so that the policy is on record. And so... uh, When I saw this was in the local, I'm like, dude, I remember these. These are great, but I haven't seen one of these posted at my station in, I I can't even tell you whenever it was posted at my station. And it's right here in the local that it's supposed to be like every month and then posted within 10 days. So now that I'm an alternate union steward, I said, well, hey, you know, maybe you should just put me on the email list so that I can make sure that these get posted. Because number one, I want us to make sure we're in compliance with the contract. That's kind of our job as the union. And then number two, I want to read these because I know there's going to be good information in there. That's the whole point of why those meetings happen. So I contacted my local union president and said, hey, can I get my hands on these uh, these minutes so that I can be sure that they get posted? And there are no minutes to be had. Uh, when I called first, uh, 
a worker in the office answered, didn't really seem to know what I was talking about. And the moral of the story is that there don't, it, it looks like from the outside that these meetings just haven't been happening. And I'm not positive that that's the case, but I can tell you that um, the union president agreed to get me these minutes when he's a little less busy. We're going through a very difficult time at our union right now because our union president, our previous union president died. And, you know, there's a lot to transition to get, you know, things. It, there's a lot going on. And so it's not exactly a priority, except that the local requires this to be posted within 10 days of each meeting. And I have suspicion that those meetings haven't even been happening. So hopefully I get proven wrong and I see all these memos. But in the meantime, um, there are no memos to be had or no, uh, I'm sorry, no minutes to be had. So I saw similar stuff in the national agreement that there's all these committees and task forces and stuff like that and work groups or whatever. There's like 20 of them. And some of them were on issues that were relevant to me, that were interesting to me, like a labor management committee that, according to the contract, the the JCAM, is supposed to meet like every six months and they keep minutes from the meetings. And um, yeah, I'd be really curious to see what's in those minutes. And then there's also a national parking committee that's outlined in Article 20, which we read recently on the podcast. And that's what really got me thinking about it. Hey, there's this national parking committee. What are they doing? What what solutions do they tackle? Or, you know, what problems do they tackle? What solutions do they come up with? Really curious about all this stuff. Does it affect my job very much? No, not very much. But I want to see what they're up to. You know, these are the best minds of parking in the country. What do they What did they come up with? So I start searching online and I don't find their published results anywhere. And again, it just gives this impression to me, you know, maybe a bit cynical that they're not doing anything because if they were, we'd be able to see the results. But, you know, just because I can't find the results, that doesn't mean they're not there. So I called national, the 202 number in Washington, D.C. for the NALC switchboard And I said, hey, I'm interested in seeing the minutes from these labor management meetings. And I'm also interested in seeing whatever results the parking committee has published. And I got transferred to a few places and there was some confusion. Uh, Apparently not a lot of people asked for this. And then finally I was told, uh, okay, we'll have to put this up to President Renfro and we'll get back to you. And then in the meantime, after this, I get a call from my local union president telling me that it is inappropriate for me to be asking for these things, that I have no right to see what they're doing up there and that I shouldn't be calling national at all. And, you know, well, we'll see what national says about it because they called me back yesterday. And when... Uh, the guy called me from National. His I uh, forget. I don't remember his name. It was like Phil Lake or something like that. Um, it, it's not important. Anyway, somebody up there who got tasked with it actually gave me a call. And to his credit, he said, "Yeah, it's completely appropriate for you to call up here and ask your questions. You know, we're run by our members, and you are the ones who are in charge of the union. And absolutely, feel free to ask us any questions you have. You know, if it's something that can be resolved at your local level, obviously go there first. But if it's not, yeah, that's what we're here for. 
And that was really refreshing to hear. You know, I have similar stuff going on at the national level with my Carrier Academy issue that is still ongoing. And when I have talked to Chris Jackson personally, uh, the director of City Delivery, he's been amazing. He's been super cooperative and kind. And yeah, by all means, call me. But when I've talked to other people in his office, it seems like, uh, what are you doing calling us? Who are you to ask us questions about what's going on? And and it's been a completely different vibe. And then I got, like after I talked to the folks in Chris Jackson's office, I got another call from my union president telling me that I am no longer allowed to call Chris Jackson's office at all. And then subsequently, Chris Jackson called me and said, no, it's totally fine to call my office. That's, of course, you have to call us for things. And so it almost feels like there's two unions. There's one union that is responsive to its members and wants to serve its members the best that it possibly can and believes that the members are the the ones paying all the salary. And the members are the ones that make this all possible, the rank-and-file letter carriers, and that's who the union is all about. And then there's this second union. And you certainly hear Corey talk about this second union on aid arbitration. And in the second union, these people who are in union leadership are above the rank-and-file members. And they're better than the rank-and-file members. And who are these rank-and-file members to question anything that I'm doing? You know, I know better, I am better. And I have certainly gotten that impression from a number of people higher up in the union. Uh, There's no reason to go through and name names right now. We've all had similar experiences. Maybe you haven't, but if you've ever actually had to deal with the people higher up, it really does seem like there's this two competing philosophies of union leadership. And I come squarely down on the side of as when I'm a steward, every member is my boss. It's up to them to tell me what they need, and then it's up to me to try to get it done. And that's what they're paying for. So uh, so that's my philosophy on it. So anyway, getting back to this conversation I had with, I believe his name was Lake, from National, he talked to me about the minutes from these meetings. And he was very intimately involved with them. And he said, we don't actually, pub- we do keep the minutes, but we don't, we keep them only for our own reference. We don't publish the minutes because the minutes are essentially a negotiation between the union and management. And the problem with publishing the minutes is that if he publishes the minutes, somebody like me gets their hands on them and goes off half cocked and says, oh, this is what we're trying to do. And this is what management's position is. And the fact is that position is not established during the negotiation. The position is established once there's resolution. And so we don't publish the minutes. So, all right, well, at least that makes sense to me. You know, thanks for taking the time to give me an explanation instead of just telling me you have no right to even ask. But then he also told me that the results do get published. And where they get published is in the M documents. That when a new memo comes out that says, hey, this is our policy going forward, this is something that we're changing, and the union and management has come to an agreement, and this is what we think, it's published in the M documents. And he gave me an example of an M document that he personally was a part of, which established uh, the ability for certain uh, districts or stations or whatever to hire directly into PTF status, to no longer have CCAs because they needed to get more people hired. 
and to make the job more attractive, they would just hire directly to to uh, PTF. And I went and looked in the M documents, and sure enough, there it is. So that was like meetings that the union and management had. They came up with these results, and boom, there they are in the M documents. And that answer is a way better answer than the one my own new union president gave me of, you have no right to even ask about that stuff. So uh, so with that in mind, I've been looking at the M documents, and I've been planning on having a series of um, podcasts about the M documents for a while now. And a buddy of mine out of my post office, who used to be a union steward, sent me a complete list of all the M documents um, that have been, you know, settled or published. And so I'm going to go through them a little bit. And there's like, I don't know, 9,000 of them or close to 10,000 of them. You know, obviously I'm not going to read all of them, but what I am going to do is I'm going to start at number one. Uh, all of these documents are, uh, are labeled M dash, and then there's a five digit number. And they just go in numerical order, it looks like to me. Or at least this list is in numerical order, starting with number one. And because the M documents are all five digits, it's M-00001. But for simplicity, I'm just going to call this one number one. So I'm going to go through these just one by one. This uh, document that I'm working from is called the MRS Summary List. And it was updated June 30th, 2023. So there may be some that are after this. And for all I know, some of these M documents have expired or been rescinded. Uh, but what I want you to get out of this is like what you can expect to find in the M documents and how they're useful to us as carriers. So some of them I'll give a little commentary on. And then at some point in the future, there will be episodes where we really dive deep into some of these specific documents. But at least for now, here's an overview of the kind of stuff you can find in the M documents. Starting with number one. Uh and I'm not going to worry about the dates or like a lot of these say step four settlement. Some of them say um, other things like how this came to be an M document. And none of that's really important for what we're doing either. If you want to look up that stuff, just put in the document number in the uh, NALC app and it'll bring up the whole document for you. All right. So anyway, number one. Appropriate medical statements written on a doctor's office memoranda or stationery, which are signed by the doctor, are considered to be an acceptable medical certification in lieu of a completed PS Form 3971. So this one actually did go and look up the full text of the M document. And apparently in some cases, post offices were requiring the doctor to fill out the 3971 for your unscheduled absence. And that's what they consider to be a doctor's note. But this settlement says that they can just write a note on their own letterhead or their stationery, and that counts as a doctor's note. So what's great about this is at your own station, if you have disagreement about whether this note from your doctor counts as a doctor's note, boom, here it is right here, settled in M00001. And you can cite that, and there you go. There's the rule. All right, number two, management should inform employees prior to placing them on restricted sick leave that their usage of sick leave demonstrates a pattern of abusing the use of sick leave. So my commentary, now they can't just willy-nilly put you on restricted sick leave. They have to tell you and show that you have demonstrated a pattern of abusing sick leave. Otherwise, you should not be on restricted sick leave. All right, number three, oh, dude. 
There is no street standard for walking. No set pace. There it is. Clear as day. Number four. It is anticipated that street supervision will be conducted in a proper and businesslike manner, and it will not be accomplished with the intent of harassing a carrier. All of these are citable in your grievances. Um, obviously, before you do that, you're going to want to go to the M document itself and read the whole thing and make sure it says what you think it says. But these uh, synopses are put up by the union and you know, it gives you a good idea of what's in there. And a lot of the ones uh, that I've seen later in the list have like expiration dates. Uh, so as far as I know, unless it is explicitly rescinded, that's the rules. And certainly this one, you know, be cool if you're doing street observation. Yeah, that's that seems reasonable. That's a good rule. And here's the actual M document that backs that up. All right, number five. Data from the one-day counts were not, nor will they be, used as a basis for disciplinary action. So management comes out, they do their thirty nine ninety nine or whatever it is, the one day count, and then they say, "Oh, well, you, who knows what they would even say as the results of it?" But they can't discipline you based on the results of that or from the data from that. All right, number six, management's decision not to allow stewards to be present during discussions individual oh, between individual carriers and their supervisors relative to route inspections was not contrary to the provisions of the national agreement. So after you have your route inspection, you sit down with management and you have a discussion about it and the union doesn't have to be there. They can just talk to you because it's not about discipline. So no steward involvement in that discussion. Number seven, management's policy to have the driver examiner conduct eye exams for all employees holding SF46 driver's licenses is proper. You know, not all these are necessarily going to apply to situations that you have to deal with. But there you go. So they can do eye tests if you have an SF46 driver's license, whatever that is. Number eight, local management will make a reasonable effort to reassign the employee to available light duty in his own craft prior to scheduling light duty in another craft. So if you have light duty, you should be doing letter carrier work, if at all possible, before you're doing clerk work and other things. Number nine, the regular straight-time hourly rate of part-time flexible employees incorporates compensation for the nine holidays cited in Article 11, Section 1 of the National Agreement. For this reason, part-time flexible employees are compensated for overtime based upon the same rate as full-time regular employees. So what this means is that there's this weird quirk about PTF pay where a PTF gets a higher hourly rate because they don't get paid holidays. And so if you work you know, 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, whatever full time is, 2000 hours, your pay equals out because you're off the days that would normally be holidays. But if you work overtime on overtime, you're not getting one and a half times your base pay. You're getting one and a half times what the full time regular makes at the same level. So on overtime, like you don't get extra, extra money on overtime. You just make regular overtime pay. You get extra straight time pay to balance out for the holiday. Um, maybe I'm not explaining that really well, but if you want a fuller explanation of it, feel free to look up M document number 00009. Number 10, the parties at step four agree that management may properly assign clerks to distribute mail to carrier cases and withdraw such mail in accordance with uh, such and such award. So there you have it. Carriers, uh, clerks can spread the mail to carrier cases and that doesn't uh, impinge on carrier duties.
Number 11, management will not return a carrier to his bid position for short periods of time merely to circumvent the intent of Article 41.1.8.2 of the National Agreement. There's a lot of stuff in there about, you know, you can't just do something to circumvent the provisions where, say, if a carrier is gone for 60 days, then the route goes up for bid. I don't know if that's a rule, but, you know, that's the idea. So during that 60 days, you just move him down for one day and then he goes back to his 204B position. You're clearly doing that just to circumvent the rule. And so that's covered here in document 11, M document 11. Number 12. It is anticipated that supervisors will respond to reasonable and germane questions during the investigation of a grievance. So I recently did my first interview with supervisors for investigating a grievance, and I felt like I had some really good questions, and to their credit, they answered all my questions as best and honestly as they could. But if you had a supervisor who was not being cooperative, well, here's something you could cite. Number 13, there is no contractual provision nor is it intended that part-time flexible employees are required to remain at their home or to call the post office to ascertain whether their services are needed. Whether you're a PTF or a CCA, now this, this was settled in 1977. CCAs did not exist at the time. But as far as I know, the same policies apply to CCAs. CCAs are a scheduled employee. And if your supervisor is telling you, well, you got to make yourself available, that is not okay. You are a scheduled employee. You are not required to sit by the phone and wait to be called in. That is not okay. Next, number 14. Each steward will be certified to represent employees in a specific work location. If that steward is absent, an alternate may serve in his stead. All stewards... Oh, that's for me. Just a sec. And I'm back. All right, so let me go back to that. Um, each steward will be the number 14. Of course, you know that. You were just listening to it. Number 14, each steward will be certified to represent employees in a specific work location. If that steward is absent, an alternate may serve in his stead. All stewards need not be absent before an alternate is allowed to represent employees. So this is relevant to me as an alternate steward. I can represent employees even if the regular steward is available. That's fine. And the regular steward and I have generally agreed who's going to do what share of the work. Ultimately, I defer to him. It's all up to him. But uh, if, if I'm needed, I can absolutely do it even though he's there. Number 15, signatures or initials may be required to verify attendance at a meeting, receipt of a document, etc. However, to require an employee to sign that he has read and understood instructions as a condition of employment for which disciplinary action may be administered is inappropriate. So management gives you like the return to work packet, this big old pack of things with all these citations to like the ELM and, and crap in there, and they want you to sign off that you have read and understood it. No, you don't have to sign off on that. Here it is right in M00015. Next, 16, letter carriers temporarily detailed to a supervisory position, 204B, may not bid on vacant letter carrier craft duty assignments while so detailed. Good to know. 17, when a regular special office count is conducted, it will be accomplished in accordance with the applicable provisions of Handbook M39. Seems reasonable. Number 18, oh, this one's long. Uh, the issue presented in the grievance pertains to, oh yeah, some of these are, 
you know, a lot of these are grievance settlements that eventually kind of, they be, they're citable. Sorry. Never mind. Let me just get back to it. 18. The issue presented in the grievance pertains to the status of the grievance subsequent to reassignment to a position within the bargaining unit for which the APWU is the exclusive bargaining agent. Only the APWU has the right to pursue a grievance relevant to the issue presented, and the grievance presented by the NALC is procedurally defective. Local management will notify the grievance and the local union having jurisdiction of our decision. Time limits will be waived at step, and a step one grievance initiated by either party will be accepted relevant to this issue within 14 days of their notification. Note, this settlement must be read in conjunction with M-01120. All right, so whatever, that's some kind of settlement that, like, if you're a clerk, your clerk union has to represent you. 19. Consideration should be, should be given to granting annual leave in the carrier craft prior to assigning part-time flexible carriers in the clerk craft. Dude, I've read this one a bunch of times because I was looking through these before I did the recording, and I don't know what this means. Um, if you want to know, look it up, M00019. Number 20. We agreed at the pre- we agreed that at the present time the use of PS form 1750 is for the evaluation of probationary employees. Nothing in this decision is to be construed as limiting management's right to redefine the use of the form at some later date so that it might be used to evaluate other than probationary employees. It is also noted that this decision does not restrict or negate any process of local management to evaluate any employee as deemed necessary other than by the use of PS Form 1750 as described in this decision. Apparently there was some sort of disagreement about the use of that form, and there's your settlement. All right. Um... Next, 21. Except in accordance with Article 1, Section 6 of the National Agreement, an employee in a training status as a supervisor shall not perform bargaining unit work while he or she is in the training status. Form 1723 is the controlling document to be used in determining when the employee is in a supervisory training status. So you can't be having 204Bs doing carrier work even when they're training. Number 22. No evidence was offered to support the local discrimination allegation and in the, let me try that again. I'll tell you, top to bottom, this, this job, they got a problem with commas. This one really needs a comma. All right. Anyway, no evidence was offered to support the discrimination allegation. And in the absence of language in the national agreement or in a local memorandum of understanding to afford part-time flexible employees an equal distribution of hours, this grievance is denied. As indicated in the file, management has, and when possible does, attempt to equalize part-time flexible employee hours, and this effort should be continued. So I have not read this full document, but what it seems like is PTFs were complaining that, hey, this person's getting way more hours than I'm getting. And that's not fair. There's discrimination. So the decision says there was no discrimination and there's no contractual requirement to balance out those hours. It's We have similar problems with CCAs where we got CCAs at my station who are working 60 hours and other CCAs who are working 20 hours. And there is no contractual uh, gripe here. But it does say that management has and when possible does attempt to equalize PTF hours and this effort should be continued. So even though you can't cite the contract for saying they have to do it, this does say they should do it. So that's something. 23. 
The question raised in this grievance involved the assignment of bargaining unit duties the same date the employee was in a 204B status. After further review of this matter, we mutually agreed that when an employee is detailed to a 204B status, the employee will not perform bargaining unit work except as provided for in Article 1, Section 6 of the 1981 National Agreement during the period of the 204B assignment. I think that relates to emergencies, like a 204B can only do carrier work if it's an emergency. Uh, but, you know, to know for sure, look it up for yourself. 24. The local policy on at-fault vehicle accidents is mollified by Article 16 of the National Agreement. Discipline should be corrective in nature rather than punitive, and no employee may be disciplined except for just cause. Each case will be considered on an individual basis. So the local policy on at-fault vehicle accidents is mollified by Article 16. I don't, I've heard the word mollified before, but I don't know exactly what it means. Maybe it's like superseded. It's, it, um, it's, I don't know. Uh, if you're going to look up M document 24, look up what mollified means too, or at least let me know. I'll probably look it up after I finish recording. All right. There is a, um, there's one that I'm looking for. Um, where I wanted to finish because I'm, I'm about done reading these. I think you guys get the idea of what all these are for. So I'm going to pause real quick, look for the one that I'm trying to find, and then I'll get back to you. Just a sec. All right, here it is. I found it. There's actually two, number 31 and number 41, and then we'll get out of here. The number 31 is the local policy does not hold carriers liable for the exact, and exact is in quotes, amount of overtime or auxiliary assistance requested, but rather an estimate, quote, within a close approximation, end quote. The policy appears to be reasonable and is not in violation of the national agreement. So here's a good one to cite when management tries to pull that crap that I need your commitment time. That, oh, if you said 30 minutes and you go to 32 minutes, I'm busting you for unauthorized overtime. It is an estimate and M document 00031 says that you are not to be held liable to an exact amount of overtime on that 3996. All right, and finally, number 41, and then we'll get out of here. Part-time flexible carriers, and subsequently I would say this also applies to CCAs. Uh, your interpretation may be different, but this is what it says. Part-time flexible carriers cannot be required to stand by or remain at home under the threat of discipline for a call-in on a non-scheduled day. Should a supervisor be unable to contact an employee whose services are needed, the employee merely remains non-scheduled for that day. There it is, guys, in black and white in M document 00041. That's the policy. You are a scheduled employee and they cannot hold you to standby that oh you got to just wait and see if we call you in that is not okay that is not the way it works all right so that's what i have for today i'm getting closer to finally telling the story about uh my removal from the carrier academy national has now had my case for three months and when i first talked to the guy who was handling it at the national level a fellow named oscar i asked him how long do you think this will all take because it's already, it had already been like five months at that point. You know, is it going to be weeks? Is it going to be months? Could it be years? And he said that it should be a matter of weeks. And he, my recollection is that he scoffed at the idea that it could take months. Because all they got to do is sit down and talk to each other. Because it's the alternate dispute resolution process. 
Well, that was a long time ago, and now we are at three months of National having my issue, and there is still no resolution anywhere in sight. So, that's a story for another day. Uh, For now, uh, that'll do. Hopefully some of these M documents will come in handy for you. I hope it inspires you to read some of them on your own and to look into it. And in the meantime, and hopefully those can uh, be yet another tool to help make you discipline proof. I'll catch you guys next time.